Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. Well, good morning. Welcome to Eastlake. So glad that you're here. And welcome to those of you watching online or catching this on replay on the app. We're so glad that you would tune in as well. Big week in the Johnson household this week, everybody. We got a uh, trampoline this week. Isn't that exciting? It was super awesome. Uh, my kids woke me up and said, Dad, we got a trampoline. I didn't even know you did that. And I was like, I didn't know either. Came like kind of set up already. It was amazing. Um, so uh, it was uh, a little bit of win this week. Glad that uh, you uh, still made it here. Hopefully your home and your fences and all of your roof shingles and all that are still uh, functional. But we are kicking off a brand new series today, a four-week series um, called Unmendable. It's going to be a series on reconciliation, forgiveness. It's right around Thanksgiving, which I think is going to play a part in, uh, in kind of thinking through some of this. Um, but to start things off, I'm going to read through a text, a story that shows up in the book of Matthew. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, it's Jesus with his disciples. Um, he's in the middle of sharing a few different stories, parables, trying to help them imagine what life looks like in a way, in the way that he kind of taught uh, how to do things. Uh, and then there's a question that we'll see. And then he responds to that question with a creative other story. Instead of me just telling you, a lot, a lot of times this is how Jesus would work with his people. Instead of telling you, let me show, share a story with you, and then you can see all of the different emotions and angles involved in that, because the fullness of the answer is not just, you know, here's a couple of words pieced together, but like a feeling of, of this is what it means, and this is what it looks like. So Matthew chapter 18, uh, verse 21 through 35, I'm going to read through it on the screen. I'm going to go through it a little bit fast. It's a big, long text. Um, if by chance, you know, you're not going to be able to write this down in, in fast. I'm not trying to judge your pen speed. I'm just telling you that it's not going to work. So um, everything that we talk about that's on the screens is also on our app, on the notes section. You can always go there or go to eastlaketricities.com slash notes. It's on there as well. But uh, here's what it says, Matthew chapter 18. Then Peter, Peter being one of Jesus' disciples and not just one of them, in the tight three, like Jesus isn't supposed to have favorites, but he does. It's Peter, James, and John, and Peter's one of those. Um, then Peter came to Jesus and asked him, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And then he goes on to then tell him the story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wants to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. That was how they oftentimes did things back then. At this, uh, at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But, and this is where the story turns, uh, when that servant went out, the one who had just been forgiven, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Uh, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. The exact same phrase that he had used on a much larger debt earlier, but he refused. This is the contrast of, of how things go. Uh, instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. 
Then the master called the servant in, you wicked, wicked servant. He said, I canceled all of that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had it on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This, and then Jesus closes with the message. Here's the proverbial moral of the story. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So uh, the story is, uh, is interesting. For, uh, we'll talk about a couple of things that I think make the story in contextually a little bit more interesting for us. Peter uh, says, Jesus had mentioned something about just a moment ago about forgiveness. And Peter is like the kid in the class who asks a question and either he knows the answer already or is um, just trying to butter up the teacher or being like, you know, hey, uh, and if you're a teacher, you have these kids in your class. Maybe you were that kid in the class. Maybe your husband was. I don't know what it was. But it's like, hey, teacher, I know you said that the assignments do like Friday. Is there going to be issues with me turning in on Thursday? Is there going to be any issues with that? And you're like, shut up, Brian. We know who you are. Come on, man. You're right. I mean, we get that. So he, he's raising his hand and says, hey, um, so should I, oh, should I forgive somebody seven times, which the rule for them and their kind of teaching or the way that they were raised in the, the Talmudic teaching would be you forgive somebody three times. They do it to you once, you forgive them. That's fine. Then if they ask for a second chance, you give them a second chance. They do it a third time. That's an established pattern. You don't have to forgive them anymore, right? Uh, and then he's going on to like, I'm going to raise the bar a little bit. Look how good of a person I am. I'm going to turn my work in on Thursday. Is it okay if I forgive somebody seven times? And Jesus says, I'm not, I'm not I'm impressed with you, Peter. Uh, in fact, 70 times seven, which was basically uh, in like for them in their language and in their mindset, seven was a sign of completion. It was God's number. It was a sign that things are done. Seven days of creation. Uh, this is when things are complete, right? This is a complete, there's nothing left. There's nothing missing. You've done this. And so he's trying to say something along the lines of, uh, you just keep forgiving. You're just a person who forgives. This is this is what I want from you. You are a complete follower of me when this is, you are known as somebody who just chooses to forgive. And then instead of leaving it there, again, he wants to illustrate it through a story. Let me tell you a story. And then he goes into, there was once, you know, a, a farmer, there's once a this. He, he goes into a, a, a phrase where, where he says, the kingdom of heaven is like, which is always code for, I'm going to tell you a parable. And what follows after this isn't necessarily something that took place historically, so you don't have to bother yourself with, what. how does that work? Whenever you hear somebody start a story off with well, once upon a time, you don't bother with the real the reality of like, you know, once upon a time there was this dog who had wings. You're like, wait, 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 dogs can't have wings. You're like, dude, did you not hear me? I said once upon a time. That's what's happening here. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like, and he's gonna use these illustrations, and not all of the things have to work together to make sense, to really portray what Jesus is trying to portray. So when it comes to the spot where it's like, he was tortured until he could pay. I know there's some of you, if you're like me, you said they're going, how is being tortured allowing him to, that all of a sudden he finds $20 in his pocket? Like what happens there with that? Um, don't worry about the logistics on that. That's not the point of it. Uh, so the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he says there was somebody who, he, he has two characters. One owes a, a big sum of money and one owes a smaller sum of money. We know that, we can grasp that without some of the context of it. But when you hear about what he means when he says 10,000 10, bags of gold, or some translations, yours at home might say something like 10,000 talents, which is a tough word for us because when we think of talents, we think of the voice or American Idol. Those people have talent. We sit at home on our couch wishing we had that talent and then voting for those people. 
Uh, talents, though, for them was a term, the highest form of currency denomination that they could think of, right? And so when we say, you know, a hundred dollar bill, a Benjamin or something like that, right? That's like the highest that we can think of. I know that historically there's been higher bills in the U.S. currency system, but don't bother. Don't, that's just, you're too smart, right? Whatever. Uh, I'm just saying that that for them was the biggest that they could think of. Um, and then 10,000 was the highest number for which the Greek language had a specific word. In other words, what he's trying to assume is like lifetimes of money. This man owes so much money, he could not pay it back in one lifetime if he gave every penny he ever earned back. It would take multiple lifetimes for him to do it. It's like this infinite, immeasurable debt, which then brings the question, if you're a reasonable person, how in the world could somebody get that much in debt? You've talked to people who are like, you know, you hear stories about people just crazy amounts in debt. And you think to yourself, what kind of a bank would lend to somebody like that? At some point, you have to have collateral or pieces like there's just a limit that you have that you could go, you can't buy infinite number of houses. You go to your lender and you're like, you tell me what kind of a house I can buy. And then you're really disappointed at what kind of a house you can buy. That's how this works right now, right? Uh, I can only buy that. Uh, that's ridiculous. Um, so this is like, this is an amount that no reasonable person would ever lend to him, but it didn't actually happen. The point is he wants us to think in terms of immeasurable debt or immeasurable owing, like uh, it's a a lifetime of money. And then contrasting that with a couple of, you know, coins of silver or whatever, which was amounted to about 50 to 100 bucks, basically probably a little bit more cash than you have on you at this time, but not unfathomable for you to go, go home and go through some sort of drawer, or some sort of hiding place where you've got some money cashed away, but you probably didn't have it on your person, which was why he goes up to him, like, give me my money that you owe me. And he's like, I don't have 50 bucks on me right now, but if you let me go to an ATM and he doesn't even let him, I mean, those don't exist, right? So anyways, uh, that's the contrast, but large sum, small sum, like we, we, we do this and he talks about it in terms of forgiveness. Um, and the, the thing to think about when it comes to this idea of, of forgiveness in this sense, because obviously this is a teaching on uh, forgiveness from Jesus trying to explain this to his disciples, is that oftentimes we operate under a mentality of the human condition lends itself to us treating people uh, in different ways than the grace that we would give ourselves. We extend grace to ourselves that we don't extend to ever, uh, any other person. When we're late, it makes sense. It was traffic, it was this, I've got kids or whatever. When somebody else is late, they're irresponsible, they need to get their act together, and they're just like, you know, how inconvenient, like what kind of a person? But when it's us, we have all kinds of games that we've shifted through. When we uh, are in debt or mispayment, like we, we, there's lots of reasons when other people can't pay us back until later, uh, it's, it's a bigger deal. We think of them, it's a character issue. That's a character issue, right? But it's never a character issue for us. That's how it always works. It's really weird how that happens with that. He's pointing this out. Uh, and then on this forgiveness side of things too, um, this has been a, a big proponent of kind of uh, the church and the church's teaching on we should forgive or we should be people who forgive. We've, after all, we've been forgiven so much. Uh, and the, point, the problem is, is that there can be an abuse of forgiveness. We can fail to extend forgiveness when we've been extended forgiveness, but also there's a hesitation of being too quick to forgive almost, like that we don't struggle with, we don't work through these things properly. The expectation of forgiveness or quickness or a quick to forgiveness uh, is that too many people, uh, it can feel like an injustice to victims. Um, if, if as a church, we're like, you should, we should always forgive. You just, the default should be to forgive. Then the problem with that is sometimes it can be used as a strategy for institutions and abusers to begin to avoid accountability. 
we saw this a couple, um, you know, this comes up every once in a while, but it flared up in, in July of, or June of 2020. Uh, somebody who I, I follow on Twitter named Elizabeth Brunig. She was uh, her she's a big Twitter following. She's an author. She's a writer for, uh, originally, uh, back then it was New York Times, but now she's with The Atlantic. But she t- uh, posted something um, in regards to, this was like around the uh, George Floyd riots and, and some of the other, you know, every once in a while, like things come up and it's like, Somebody says something or does something, and then they, they get called to the carpet on it, and then uh, they, we expect them to print a retraction or talk about it or share a video of it. Uh, it seems like every week somebody's doing this. Have you seen? Did you hear what so-and-so said? Uh, he's crazy, and here's this video. But nobody ever shares the, like, the, the, the other video, the video that says I was wrong or whatever. They just highlight the big one. Anyways, we, she says that there's something unsustainable. She posted this. There's something unsustainable about an environment that demands constant atonement. We're looking for people to demand, we demand constant atonement. We call them, let's make them hold them accountable for what they just said, but actively disdains the very idea of forgiveness, that we hold that to them, that they cannot change. That is something that's in them. And even if they apologize, they're only apologizing because they know they're going to get canceled. They are only apologizing because they know they're going to lose a bunch of uh, things, you know, uh, uh, advertisers that are going to sign up for them or whatever. Like we question their motivation, the manipulation, all that kind of stuff. So we want atonement. We want you to say something, but then even when you do, we question all of that, right? This tweet generated a firestorm of response. She retracted it later uh, and then was interviewed on this thing because it kind of blew up and it kind of went crazy and everybody's sharing it and being like, you, you're saying that we need to be quick to forgive, but if you're too quick to forgive, then we're just overlooking the injustice to people. And in the interview, she said, I see in American culture how offended people seem to be by the very idea of forgiveness itself. They seem to find it immoral, and I think that's very disturbing. So we want an age of accountability, but we struggle with forgiveness because forgiveness feels like an easy out sometimes. In other words, we have, some, to some degree, a forgiveness problem. We don't know how to forgive well. We don't accept forgiveness well. We question the motives behind it. We, we know it's, you know it's important to do, but we want atonement. We want payment. We want people to not be jerks and not be idiots, but we don't have a great path forward for forgiveness. We have not learned from this infinite forgiveness and pass this along. We hold, uh, we, 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 and yet when we're on the, on the side of it, we would say, well, what do you want me to do? I've, I've asked for forgiveness. Let me, let me do my part, but we don't extend the grace again to other people in the same way that we give to ourselves or the people that we care about. So we have a forgiveness problem. Yet at the very end of this story that we just left up on, Jesus insinuates that forgiveness plays an important role in following the way of doing things that he advocated for. That we have a forgiveness problem. And so then the questions for this series that we're gonna walk through over the next couple of weeks, if you'll stick it out with me, is this. What is the role of forgiveness in the life of a follower of the way of Jesus? We've said that what this place is, or what, the reason why we exist, is not so that you come get it like a good, you know, stamp of approval on God, and you get to go do your week and have a great week, and you're going to be blessed with a house that doesn't lose shingles, and your your uh, trampoline stays set where it's put. That's not it. Uh, but we said this is supposed to be a community that is interpreting what the way of Jesus would look like in today's thing. We know that it existed a long time ago. That it, the original audience was different than us, but. We get to peek over their shoulder and look at if he said this about life back then, what would he say to us about it now? How do we learn from that? How do we challenge ourselves to do that? How do we live in community as we encourage one another, inspire one another, and hold each other accountable towards that? That's why we gather. That's why we do church. 
So what is the, if, if forgiveness is an essential role in the following the way of Jesus, what does that role look like? And then what role does reconciliation play when scenarios in life feel unmendable? And you'll notice, I did a couple of things here. One, I used the word forgiveness and reconciliation interchangeable, which I don't think that that is uh, true. I, I, I'm intentionally, I think they're different. I think that forgiveness is a step towards reconciliation, but you can have, you can have forgiveness without reconciliation, but you can't have reconciliation without forgiveness. And we'll define those two things a little bit more as we move forward. But then I also introduced a word called unmendable, which when I typed it into my word processing software on my Mac this week, uh, that little red squiggly line comes up underneath, which usually means I spelled something wrong because I'm not a good speller. Uh, And then when I click on it, they're like, no guesses for replacements. We have no idea what you're talking about. And I realized I'm making up a word. So if you sat there and saw the series and you're like, that's not a real word, you're right. You're the smarty, you know, you're the one turning in the classwork on Thursday. I get it. Um, But... I think when I explain it, I think you, we, we kind of know what it means that things are unmendable. And, and I want to think through it in terms of not the fence that just blew down and you don't even know what you're going to do. I mean in terms of relationships, that there are certain relationships that at this stage in your life, in this season of your life, feel unmendable. And my guess, I, I don't know for sure, is that if you have an unmendable relationship in your life, it probably has something to do with family. And the reason I think it has something to do with family is because these are the, when we, when we have an unmendable relationship with a peer or with a coworker or with a friend, we just don't see them anymore. We take them out of our phone. We don't go to those parties. We don't answer those phone calls. But when it comes to family, every once in a while, a couple of times a year, there's this thing called Thanksgiving. There's this thing called Christmas where we're expected to show up. Now, three years ago, two years ago, it was great. We had a great excuse. I'm so sorry. I cannot make it, right? I'm sick. You're sick. We're all sick doesn't happen. Even last year, it was like, ah, we might be sick. I don't, <clears throat> it, it's not looking good. I don't know that we're going to make it. And now we're entering into this year where that excuse doesn't fly as much or as well. People are starting to, if, if we did it again for a third year in a row, people would be like, I think they just don't like us. I think that's what it is, right? And, and in the process of the last couple of years, the physical distance between people has caused most of our life to then go online. And when things go online, there are a lot less filters in place. You know this. People are willing to say and do things behind a key, the safety of a keyboard and a screen that they would not do in person. And so there have been things that have been said. There have been things that have been said about you, about your husband or spouse or kids or whatever, and, and or about how you vote or the things that you care about in life and, and all of the, and it's a voting season too. Oh my gosh, it's midterms. And it just feels like there have been some things that have been done over the last few years that feel unmendable, which then causes us to go through a different sort of holiday planning schedule sort of process, right? With with the idea of a relationship in the back of our mind that feels unmendable and knowing that there are expectations that we show up and we participate and we're good and all that kind of stuff, we ask questions. And the process for holiday scheduling questions goes like this. First off, when are they coming? You know who they are. That's the they, Right? When are they coming? Great. Number two, which is followed up by this, how long do you think they're staying? And then the third isn't really a question as much as a statement. Bummer, we just found out we get there the next day. That's how this works. When are they coming? How long are they staying? Oh, Thursday? Oh, crud. Yeah, we got something. We can't make it till Friday. Ah. What luck. I mean, terrible luck. Sorry, that's what I meant to say. Um, And the problem is... 
that they see things their way and I see things the right way. And if they would just see things my way, then we'd both be seeing things the right way and then we could move on. If you'll see things my way, we can be on our way. And that's what we all both want anyways, right? Out of this situation, whatever. And it doesn't feel like it should be this difficult to fix a relationship. It doesn't feel like it should be this difficult to fix a relationship because you've had other ones with friends that it just, you, you weighed the balance of like, it's just not worth it anymore. So now we just don't hang out. But that's not an option when it comes to family. So the, an unmendable might be a relationship with a friend. It totally might. But with the, the, the family one, the problem is just the blood, you know, the expectation of, of, of shared blood. And, and we do this, and this is socially an expectation for us to be a part of family with family at Christmas uh, and Thanksgiving and all of that. And so, um, it just shows up even more so in this, you can live for nine months a year with an unmendable relationship and, and there's, no, there's no qualms or any issues. And now we're entering the season where I got to face it a little bit, right? And it shouldn't feel this difficult to fix a relationship about this. So that's why I think this is important. And if you're a Christ follower, uh, this is an expectation about how we live out the kind of grace and forgiveness that has been extended to us. So this does not feel like an optional thing for us. It feels like this is what it means to live in the way of Jesus. If you're not a Christ follower and you're just like, you're here because you got invited, free coffee, childcare, it's great. You're welcome. You, you get to figure out if this is if this is what you want to do or not. I'm just, you know, no obligation there. But for the rest of us, uh, there is uh, some expectation for it. So um, today specifically, I want to talk about how to get people to see things your way. That's the title of, of the talk for today. And the reason I title it this way is because uh, when you go on the app or on the web or whatever, and you go to a talk, this, the title show up and I want people to click on this. So I'm giving away my secrets. You're already here, so it doesn't matter, right? So uh, I already suckered you in. Um, but a lot of times uh, we have, when it comes to facing up to uh, unmendable relationships, reactionary tools um, that we reach to when we, are, we find ourselves stuck and forced to engage in some sort of a conversation or, or move things forward or try and, try, try and uh, put the relationship back on the rails when the relationship has been derailed. And our strategy oftentimes consists of four things. One is to convince, to use uh, efforts of convincing to talk rationally through them. Um, we say, uh, let, let, me, let me talk you through how I, this, it feels on this side of things, right? Uh, and so we, we work through it on a rational basis or we coerce them. We use subtle, subtle is the key word there, manipulation tools, not that they feel manipulated, but afterwards you get in the car home and you're just like, did you see what I did there with that person? It's pretty good, right? We say that to our spouse and they're like, you're, you're the best, babe. I know, thanks. Uh, we convict, which is another term for guilt. We can guilt people into getting them to do what we want to do or see things the way that we want to see them. Or we can control them. We control a situation. We take our ball and go home if they don't want to play our way. Uh, we, we don't show up. We just decide if you're going to be there then, we're not going to be there then. We'll just go you know, other times around. So a lot of times when it comes to unmendable relationships, that is this is one of our strategies. And when you think of an unmendable relationship in your uh, way, in the, in, in the behavior that you exhibit during the situations, it probably falls into one of these buckets into one of these categories. Or uh, you know, somebody on the drive home that, that lives with you or knows you well, uh, whether it's a child or a spouse or significant other or whatever, um, they could easily point these out for you. If, if you're feeling like, I don't know if I do any of these four things, they'll, they'll help you out, I, I promise you. They're elbowing you right now going, we'll talk about this, it's fine. Um, coercion, uh, convincing, convicting, and controlling. And when the relationship with derails, uh, we find ourselves saying a bunch of different things. I'm gonna walk through a couple of them 
just to give you an example of what I, what I mean when, I, when we say we're doing this. Uh, if you've ever said, I'm sorry if I offended you, when it comes to what seemingly feels like an unmendable relationship, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry if I offended you. This is an example of control uh, and a little bit of conviction in terms of you're trying to make them feel guilty for something, because here's what it feels like to be on the other side of, I'm sorry if I offended you. The translation is, you are too easily offended. And what I said would not have offended most people. You are clearly not most people. So it's kind of your fault a little bit, right? You're too easily offended. Now, to be clear, this is insulting. And this is an example of convicting. I'm making them feel guilty or I'm trying to control this thing or have you, I'm trying to gaslight you a little bit, trying to think you, uh, this, is, this is your problem when it's not you, right? Or if you've ever said that, and I'm, I'm saving marriages right now. This is how, I'm saving you some time, me some time, everybody some time with marriage counseling. If you just get this right, you don't even have to take this into like family relationship. You could just take this home and this is gonna be helpful for you. Number two, I said, I'm sorry. Why are you still so upset? If you've ever said, I said, I'm sorry, why are you so upset? The translation on this is, I've done my part, you should be fine now. And since you're not fine, clearly something's wrong with you. I'm not the problem anymore, I've done my part. I've forgiven from a distance, I've done this thing, I said, I'm sorry, why are you still so upset with me? And we do these and we think that we're making progress, but we're just digging a deeper hole for ourselves. In some weird way, we've convinced ourselves that this is a step forward, but it's really not. It's kind of a step backwards. It's not even a step sideways. It's a step backwards in this. We are falling into steps of convincing, coercing, convicting, and controlling when we say these sorts of things. And the problem that we have is that mending a relationship, broken relationship is a learned skill. And perhaps we have not surrounded ourselves with great teachers of this. Perhaps your parents were never really great uh, at mending broken relationships. Your parents were the type of people, the household that you grew up in, when things went south in a relationship, we just don't visit those people anymore. We don't, we don't call them. They're still your uncle, but you know, you, if you wanna pursue it, that's fine, but we, we don't talk about that. Or uh, we just don't deal with conflict very well. We, we haven't been modeled this very well. We, we don't see this uh, a lot of times we, uh, in, in, in movies or, or, or books that we read. It's kinda like, we don't gravitate towards that. We gravitate towards um, like when they, when they go the, the opposite direction, there's like a, a big explosion and there's, that's the fun story. That's the, what we want to watch. That's what we want to read about. We don't want to read about a story where this happened, but then we made up and it was fine, right? That's, there's no, there's, I mean, there's resolution there, but it's way too good. That's not how life works. I like the brokenness. I like the explosions. I like the messes, messes, right? So we have a, a very poor uh, perspective on this being modeled well for us, which is one of the reasons why one of Kylie and I's favorite shows that have come out recently highlights this very thing. There's a show that debuted in July of this last year on HBO called The Rehearsal. The Rehearsal with Nathan Fielding. He did Nathan For You, which is a story on Comedy Central. And this is, he's kind of a comedian, but like a very, very dry, different take. So it's not like funny, ha ha, slapstick stuff. And you'll see in this scenario, he's at a, at a dinner table with a bunch of different mannequins. Uh, and the premise of the show is simply this. Um, you may struggle with difficult conversations. We can help you rehearse them in a, in a safe setting so that you'll be able to kind of carry this out to completion later. He, he put a, the, the, in the very first episode, and I, try, I was gonna try and download a clip and show it to you. It was gonna take too much time and there's too much right stuff involved that I didn't wanna do it. So I'll try and do my best to explain it to you. But uh, anyways, um, 
he puts an ad out on Craigslist if, and, and the basic ad premise was, if you are struggling with an upcoming future difficult conversation and need some help, we can help you. The guy reached out, made a video and said in his video, uh, I, am a, I have a circle of friends who are like my, it's my life, it's my family. Uh, we do trivia on Thursday nights together. And a couple of years ago, I told them, foolishly that I had a master's degree in science and I really don't um, and I feel guilty about it and I don't know how to break the conversation and I feel like if I do, they're gonna kick me out of trivia club and I, I would lose my everything, right? And and is he quirky? Is he, uh, you know, does he have some uh, some personal stuff? Yeah, sure, probably, right? But it was it's funny enough. So Nathan shows up at his house, comes in, knocks on the door, uh, walks in, introduces himself, walks around a little bit, sits down and says, I heard you have this problem. Would you like, here's what I do. I don't know if you know what I do in my work, but I rehearse things with people. What we will do is we will build a set of this bar that you go to. Uh, We will... um, We'll hire actors to act as if it's your friend. We'll hire people to kind of be in the bar to kind of create this setting. Uh, And then we'll have you walk through and go down and we'll just practice a hundred times. You stepping in, having this conversation, we'll go all the different variables so that you know if it goes this way, you could say this. If it goes this way, you could say this. It's it's this rehearsal. Are you okay with doing something like this? And the guy was like, I think that would be okay. Yeah, that'd be fine. He's like, oh, good. Um, Can I let you in on a little secret? I've rehearsed this conversation with you a thousand times. And the guy's like, okay. He's like, "Um, do you remember a couple of weeks ago when the gas company showed up because there was a gas leak in the building? And he's like, yes. He's like, there's no gas leak. We just came in and took pictures of all of the interior of your set. In fact, two miles away from here, we built your exact apartment over here. And I've been practicing for two weeks with a hired actor who studied you and your personality and your stuff. And we, we've walked through this scenario and, and I've, I've gone, if you said this, I was gonna say this. And if you said this, I was gonna say this. And I took off my shoes and then I made a joke and I practiced that joke. And then I made a joke about your books and all this kind of stuff. And uh, so therefore you're saying yes to something that's working. And I can promise you, cause it's working on you right now. And the guy sits there and goes, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like we would. Like, that's like, it's, it's a crazy premise to show. And then later on the season, it goes really wild. So, to, you know, caution if you choose to watch it. It was fantastic. But the idea behind it, the reason that we watch it and think this could potentially work or that this makes sense is because we know what it is like to struggle with relations. We know what it's like to struggle with conversations, to have unmendable things, or even if we wouldn't put it in un- unmendable, uncomfortable situations where we would say, if I could like practice it in the safety of, if I screw it up or say something wrong, at least I'd be like, let's, let's rewind, let's go back a little bit. I'm gonna go back through the door and we'll try this again. But that's not what life offers us. Life offers us real life situations. And when we screw it up, we just add more gasoline to the fire and then we feel bad about this and it becomes even more unmendable, which then goes, we should have just not started in the first place. It's just not even worth it. It's just, let's just not go. Let's just not, let's just show up on Friday. They're leaving Thursday. It's easier just to do uh, with this uh, in, in a different way. So uh, something to keep in mind about this. If this is a learned skill, and if, if the way of Jesus offers us kind of steps forward in something like this, then I, I want to talk about uh, reconciliation and um, in, in the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. 
Uh, forgiveness is something that's done at a distance. You can choose to forgive without reconciliation, uh, but reconciliation is the two things coming back together, getting things back the way that they used to be, or some sort of a, a new relationship that is informed by something that took place in the old ways. But you can have one with, uh, you, you can't have reconciliation without forgiveness, but you can't have reconciliation, uh, or you can't have forgiveness without, uh, sorry, I'm screwing that up. You know what I mean, I think. Maybe you don't. Anyways, uh, th- this is an important deal. Um, because the goal for, un, as we move forward with this, and if we're going to learn from this, the goal isn't reconciliation of our friendships, okay? The goal isn't that you final these things, these relationships that you have are unmendable, but if you come to this church and listen for four weeks, here's what I promise, you'll be best buddies again. I don't know that that's true, and that shouldn't be true for you. You should not go into a relationship thinking, I'm going to do whatever it takes to reconcile, to get things back to where they need to be. Because it's, a, it's outside of our control. We, for, we don't have all access to the pieces that it would take to make that happen. They are their own person. We cannot set the agenda for them. How we know that this is a win for us is not that we walk at four months from now, everything's gonna be great. I don't know that it will. I know that there should be some forgiveness in there, but there might not be any reconciliation because that's you can only go so far and then they've got to kind of respond in this way a little bit. You can do what you can do and it's important to have this. But here, write this down if you're taking notes. Never set a goal for another adult. Now, here's the deal. If you were hired as their personal trainer, then that's different, right? There are exceptions to this. But for the most part, they didn't hire you to come do anything. You're just trying to reestablish relationship with this. Don't set the goal for them because a goal feels like an agenda and agendas always, always, always undermine relationships. How we know this is you hate being treated like there's something, there's an agenda going on. Do you enjoy people have an agenda for you? They meet, they're like, let's just do coffee. You get it together for coffee and they're like, hey, did I tell you I'm selling Lululemon now? Did I tell you? And you're like, oh God, I figured out what this was. I should have known. You hate that. I hate that. Please don't. Don't have an agenda. If we're going to get back to this, I'm, I'm, fighting for, I'm fighting for reconciliation. We're going to be friends again. You're like, no, I don't know that that's true. The goal and the win of this is not necessarily things get back to normal because that's outside of your control. What's inside of your control is that you would have no regrets on this. The goal is no regrets, knowing that you did everything that you could do. That there exists relationships that feel unmendable. That we are called as Christians, as followers of the way of Jesus, to live in a way that forgiveness is extended for sure and attempts at reconciliation are done so. But the ultimate choice is, is not just up to you. We see this as an example of what we feel like God is in the market of doing. This is what he does. His desires to reconcile his creation up unto himself. He offers us forgiveness and he, he does what he can. He does everything that he could do. But then to some degree, there's a sense in which we have a responsibility to then respond to that. That he doesn't force this on us. He doesn't have an agenda with us in this way. And what it does for us is it makes us realize in our context that no matter how much of the blame sits on me and how much of the blame sits on them, we all have agency or responsibility in a situation to do what we can do. So my encouragement, my inspiration, my, my thing that I would love to have you kind of go with is when it comes to unmendable relationships during this holiday season, that you would think through the terms of reconciliation, that you think of the terms of, uh, of forgiveness, and that those are two separate things, that I am called to forgive. Like I've got to figure out and deal with forgiveness, and we can talk about how that works. And then when it comes to reconciliation, I do what I can do. The win for me is that I've done, I, I live with no regrets on that way. That forgiveness is only half of the equation. I've done my part. 
And that I begin to, and through this process, may it settle in my mind the idea of reconciliation as an operative or the operative word within Christianity. That I would begin to see the bigger picture, that I would feel tangibly and emotionally um, about how my relationship works out with them in a way that causes me to see with a new light God's vision of our relationship or, or the way that he's working at it through me, that, that God has done this for me, that this is, this is I'm, I'm on the receiving end of this. I'm, I'm the one that has distanced myself. I'm the one that, that I have decided, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't, you know, whatever. And he has been doing his part to not just forgive, but to work towards reconciliation, but he leaves it up. He doesn't force it on it and he doesn't deal with an agenda that there's a, a step for me. If I want that, I've got to move in that direction. Paul writes about this. He, um, in his uh, book, he wrote a, a letter to a church in Philippi. We know it as Philippians. In chapter two, in, in kind of writing to a, a people that he considered himself to be, and, and they saw him as kind of an uh, elder or a pastor or uh, an advisor. Here's what we do. He, he wrote this, in your relationships with one another. In your relationships, your horizontal relationships with one another. I'm not speaking vertically about your relationship with God. I'm talking about your relationships with one another. Have or operate with the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And he, he begins to go through some of the things and the examples that he used, but for sure the backdrop for them that they would know that he approached relationships in a unique way. The Jesus, and another point said, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer, a, a, a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and one begins to wander off. And what does he do? He leaves the 90 again to go chasing after the one, which is so the opposite of what we would do. What we would do is to say, we, well, we still have 99 and that guy was an idiot anyways. Rogue sheep. The shepherd who stands there and goes, he knows where we're at. He can come back anytime. He's welcome back here anytime. That this is how the church has kind of operated for a really long time, right? They know where we meet. We're on Sundays at 9.15 and 10.30. If they want to come back, we will welcome them. They'll be fine. They got to know that they repented of their ways and figured out this thing. And he says, no, no, that's not how it works. The mindset of Jesus was he went after that person. That at another point, he's having a conversation with his disciples and he begins to say things like, it's not the healthy who need, the sick or need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He's saying that this, I, I move towards them, that the mindset of Jesus has been, I do what I can to move towards people. Whether or not they turn and repent and come back to me, that's, the, that's gonna be on them. That's the next stage of reconciliation. But here's what I do know. I make movements towards them. That's the mindset that I have. You, Paul said, said to us, you have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Move towards them. Do something in movement towards them. You can forgive from afar, but reconciling, you can't do that from a distance. And I don't know that that's the future for your relationship, but I know that that's what we're called to kind of move toward. If we, if we, if we take Jesus at his word, that when he says that here's this story, the kingdom of heaven's like this, this is what God does for us. We should be agents of the same sort of thing. We should not hold them differently accountable than we hold for ourselves or us differently than we hold for them. This is, this is how this thing works. That regardless of how we feel and whose fault it is and how much blame should be assigned elsewhere and do whatever else, I understand on that. I get all that. I, I, I know. And I know that it might not ever look and feel the same. But if we take Paul seriously, when he says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus had a pattern of leaving the 99 to chase after the one. He had a pattern 
of saying, I didn't come to heal the, 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 the healthy. I came to heal the sick. The healthy don't need me. This is, I love this one because he's surrounded by sinners and tax collectors in that category. And, and he says this out loud to his disciples with them overhearing it. it. You'd think it would be offensive to them. They'd be like, hey, are you calling us sick and broken? But the reality is, you know people, you have friends who you go, I'm hanging out with my, my, my idiot friends, right? And they're like, yeah, we're idiots. You know what I mean? Like people who are broken and hurting understand I'm, I'm, I'm part of that. I've just never had anybody move towards me in this way, right? This is, this is the crazy thing. This is what, this is, by the way, an unofficial mantra of our church is that Jesus walked towards the message we should probably do, do it too. You passed a bunch of churches on the way here this morning. Uh, and a lot of times, unfortunately, churches become about the 99 and they, they exist and they go, they know where we are. They can come whenever they want. We'll make them feel welcome. We wanted to be a church that was like, no, what if we went after the one? What if it was like aggressive in that way? What if we move towards them as much as we could? It's gonna require them a little bit in our direction. But for the most part, we've done what we could. All right, I know that that's a mantra for a church, but for you, what does it mean for me? For you this holiday season, as you, example, as you encounter relationships that for, for years, for months, recently, I don't know how this works, feels unmendable in this way. You can cast forgiveness from afar, from a distance, but what you're called to is something a little bit different, reconciliation, which requires movement towards them. So just real from the safety of your seat, I'm not even asking you to contact them or do anything this week, real, real safe. The question for us is, is really this, what's stopping you from trying? You've got some reason. What is it that's stopping you from moving towards, back towards them in some way, shape, or form? And then a follow-up to that is what's stopping me from trying really, right? And some questions to kind of work through and process through. Again, safety, it, it, whatever. It, it, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna post them up here. You're not gonna be able to write them down in time. They're gonna be on the notion. I'm gonna email them out too in the East Lake Weekly this week. You're gonna see a few questions that'll, that'll help kind of fuel some conversations. These would be great if you came here with somebody who is doing life with you, a, a parent, a significant other, a spouse or whatever. They know you. They, they can, they, if, if, you are, if you find yourself stumped on some of these questions, there's a good chance they could answer them for you. For example, this first one, which of these four relational tools do you reach for first when conflict arises? Convincing, coercing, convicting, or controlling? If you are like, I don't know, I don't really see myself doing any of these things. Your wife has another option for you, right? She's got some advice. She'd be like, oh, it's not clear to you? This is what you do? This is how you operate? I mean, it's fine. Like, I'm still, I love being married to you. It's great. But uh, yeah, you do this for sure. You may not have said those two phrases that I said earlier, but there's something going on there. Which one do you kind of lean towards in terms of, this is the one. All right, number two, do you have friends or family members who are estranged from members of their families? And this is external, this is outside of you. So this is still safe. This isn't, I'm not doing anything to you. From where you sit, what's keeping the feud alive? From your perspective, why is it still happening? Why is this ongoing? Who's, who's not stepping forward? Who's not doing, you know, what's the... What is it? Why does this just keep happening year after year? Again, this is just opinions, takes, whatever. And then number three, and now this is gonna get a little bit more personal, and I'm sorry, again, uh, if you're not like a Christ follower, I'm not your pastor, then you can just be like, whatever. But if, 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 that's, if you see this thing a little bit differently, you come to be not only inspired, but sometimes kicked in the butt and held accountable a little bit. Here we go. If you are estranged from a friend or family member, what's stopping you really from taking steps to repair it? If you are estranged from a friend or family member, what's stopping you, parentheses really, from taking steps to repair it? 
May we be the type of people who, when we read the story of Jesus, don't take out that last part as just an optional, hey, if you get around to it, you know, if you think about extending forgiveness and reconciliation the same way that you've been reconciled or uh, attempted to be reconciled from your father. May we, instead of going, ah, that's cute, doesn't work though, instead feel a little bit challenged, a little bit like maybe, maybe my faith needs to integrate into my life a little bit more in this area that I'm comfortable with. May we be the type of people who do what we can, that we live with no regrets when it comes to unmendable relationships. And may we experience, may, may, that, may our actions in that way bring to new light or a refreshing light where we stand in relationship to our heavenly father and what he has done for us in terms of reconciliation. So. Let's pray. Father, our prayer is that that would be true for us, that you would help us to see this, uh, to know this. And, and we apologize uh, for those times. We, maybe it's really obvious for which, which uh, uh, tool and weapon we tend to use when it comes to fighting back against these types of things and, and getting away with knowing what we should do and all that kind of stuff. But may, may we instead begin to ask ourselves some difficult questions. May we move towards them. May we live with life with no regrets. Um, and the reason for our motivation for doing that is because you've already done this with us. We're thankful for your, uh, your unceasing desire for reconciliation with your creation. Uh, and that includes us. And uh, we pray that you would give us the wisdom to know what that looks like in our life and the curse to do something about it in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, eastlaketricities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching East Lake Tri-Cities in your favorite app store.